Imagine for a moment how difficult it must have been to communicate with someone in another city in the ancient world. First, not many people were literate, so you'd have to pay for someone literate to write your letter down for you. You would then have to pay a messenger to travel to that city. If the trip was by land, you know, even though the Romans had built a pretty good road system by that time, sometimes it, you know, sometimes the maintenance might not have been that great, and there could have been bandits on the road or storms. Sea travel was no easier, as there were no commercial passenger vessels. You'd have to buy your messenger's way onto a passing merchant ship. And similar dangers existed as on land. Since the beginning of human civilization, there has been piracy. Pirates in bad weather always threatened, as well as the possibility of shipwreck. And then, once arrived, your messenger would have to find the addressee who would presumably either know how to read or would have someone in the household who could. With all these obstacles and hazards, it's truly remarkable that we have the letters of the New Testament that we have. Oh, and the letters were written on this little material called papyrus, which tended to, did not last very long. It tended to de degrade pretty quickly. So compare that to today. Literacy is widespread, although I have my doubts about emojis, but that's just a grumpy old man comment. It is ridiculously easy to text, instant message, or email someone half a world away. If you must communicate by paper and ink, there are global mail service providers who can deliver your letter to nearly anywhere in the world. I even found a service that will send a postcard to anyone you choose from Timbuktu. So if you want to send a passive-aggressive message to your roommate about not doing the dishes, wouldn't it have so much more weight if it came all the way from Timbuktu? We truly live in an information age. So much is online. There are virtual communities for everything, including the church. The explosion of global communications over the past 60 years, to say nothing of the last three years during COVID when we had no other choice, is nothing less than a revolution on the level of Gutenberg's printing press. Though lately, some might call it information overload. Anyone try to clean out their email inbox lately? I think I have about 18,000 messages at last count. What, what percentage of those emails do you think are ads? I think a good majority of them are. Parents, how many messages do you receive from your kid's school or activity leaders? Quite a few, I'm betting. And how are folks doing with Zoom meetings these days? I think my attention span is done after 10 minutes on Zoom. Even virtual communities, which were heralded with so much promise as a way to keep in touch, even without being physically present, have under-delivered. During COVID, when many of us spent most of our waking hours online, you can guess what happened to loneliness. It went through the roof. John's, 2 John's brevity, a very short letter, and his call to a flesh-and-blood community is sorely needed in the church today. You see, back when the elder, the, who is the author of 2 John, it's what he styles himself, 
Back when he was writing, there were a lot of traveling preachers. And many of them styled themselves apostles of Jesus Christ. They carried letters of introduction that may or may not have been genuine, which would have given them access to a particular house church. Churches weren't specialized spaces like this. They, were, they often met in homes. They would stay for a while preaching whatever gospel they had to preach and correcting whatever errors they saw. Many of these preachers, then as now, were hucksters. Paul excoriates huckster preachers undercutting his gospel message in Galatia and Corinth. These hucksters said that church members needed to observe the whole Torah to follow Jesus. In the elders' case, the problem was different. These hucksters were saying that Jesus, being the divine Son of God, only appeared to be human. He hadn't come in the flesh. He only appeared to eat, to drink, and to have bodily functions. He only appeared to get angry, sad, and tired. He only appeared to suffer and die. Now, why would they say that? Because such human things were seen as improper for God to take on God's self. How could Jesus share the divine life with us if he were a human? And some of these teachers went further. They would say that salvation depended on the ability of the human being to purge itself of its nature. To do that, they had a secret teaching, a way of knowledge on how to receive one's salvation. And it, it took a lot of effort. You'd have to severely restrict what you ate. You'd have to, you know, you'd have to severely limit your amount of sleep. And that's right, lifelong celibacy. So all of these things, you, there was little, it was all about what you could do, about how you could improve yourself spiritually. There was little of, in the way of genuine community, real life together with real human beings. It was an individualistic spiritual self-improvement program. And like many self-improvement programs, it was a giant fraud. Little wonder the elder warned against welcoming such people. Has much really changed over two millennia? There's a lot of money to be made by promising people the next big thing that will change their lives. The next diet, the next exercise program, the next activity, the next hot social space, the next political candidate, the next time management book, the next way to talk to your estranged children the next way to deal with your negative self-talk, the next quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Duh, bears. I'm not saying that these things are always unhelpful. The problem comes along when people center their lives around them and entertain false hopes. You see, our lasting hope is only in God and not in some abstract concept of God, not some kind of floaty sky fairy God, but in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, in perfect community with his Father through the Holy Spirit. We are a flesh and blood community, 
centered around the flesh and blood Christ. Not an abstract Christ, not a Christ of our own imagination, but a Christ who came down for us, for you, for me. A Christ who really walked the earth, who ate and drank and had bodily functions and got tired and angry and sleepy and suffered and died and rose again. A real Christ, a true 100% human being who is also 100% God. And a Christ who came not to condemn but to redeem. To show us how to love the real flesh and blood person next to us as he loved us and gave himself up for us. Jesus laid down his life for us willingly so that we could be forgiven and freed from all that separates us from God, from everything that separates us from God. It is true that real flesh and blood communities can have their downfalls sometimes. They can hurt each other. They can hurt each other terribly, not least the community of the family. Our families are communities too. And it is true that real flesh and blood communities can be even more ignorant, hard-headed, and entrenched in their own sinfulness than the individuals are who make them up. Yet, Jesus died to redeem the human community. God in Christ, through his lot in with human community irrevocably. This is God's plan to redeem the world. Being born for us, real flesh and blood, dying for us, rising for us again. Salvation is never just a me and Jesus kind of thing. Jesus is never just my personal Savior. He is the Savior of us all. He is not my guru helping me with my spiritual self-improvement program. He is the one who shows us how to love through his own self-giving love. And this self-giving love isn't flashy. There isn't money to be made in this. There's no business model. There's just a group of people, flawed, imperfect, flesh-and-blood people in community around a flesh-and-blood Christ. And Christ doesn't demand that we shed our humanity or punish ourselves or just try a little harder. He asks for simple obedience, to walk in love as he loves us. And this kind of obedience, we don't like that word, but I don't have another one for it. This new kind of obedience is not based on fear and loathing, but on love. On love. And not on what we have done or what we could possibly do, but on what Christ has already done for us and what he continues to do for us through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Christ, you did not despise human flesh or community, but descended to redeem and transform them into what they were intended to be. Let your spirit dwell with this flesh and blood community of saints here at Shalom and all such communities that we may walk in your love. Amen.